center of your church be the center Jesus be the center of your church and every knee will bow and every tongue shall confess you Jesus Jesus so Jesus at the center of
Jesus, be the center of my life. Jesus, be the center of my life. From beginning to the worship you Lord together today and we thank you for your presence with us thank you that in every home Lord right now that you are here that you are with us that your spirit is moving among us and we thank you for just the rest of this time together as we share the message that your your spirit will be present your anointing would rest upon us in Jesus name carrying on with our series of identity today and today we're talking about redeemed by God now one of the things that probably has the most biggest impacts on our identity is actually who our parents are. I mean, our parents have such a significant impact on any uh, idea of our identity. I mean, in the sense that they give us our names, so there's a big part of your identity. It's just they give you your name and your surname, generally. Um, they genetically are, are reproduced uh, in us. We tend to look like our parents in some way, uh, in, you know, we have physical traits that we inherit from them. They so have, so determinative in terms of even our character, our personality development. Um, there's so many things in our lives that we are that is a direct correlation of our parents. And I know for some people that's perhaps more true than others, but I think it has some level of truth for all of us. Even those that don't know their parents, their parents still has an impact on your identity because of genetics and all of those things. So parents are a big reality when it comes to our identity. And I think that's why the scripture uses this metaphor of parent and child, or father and son, particularly in the scripture so often, to describe our relationship with God. When it comes to issues of identity also, it uses it particularly often, that it describes how we are God's children. And the Bible particularly uses this idea of sonship. And, and I know some may feel uncomfortable with that idea from a, from a gender representation. And therefore it's appropriate that in, in many spaces, even the scripture and in our translations, we use the word child. But, but I do want to say there's something captured in the idea of sonship that is powerful. And it relates to the fact that Jesus is the son of God. And so when we use the word sonship, we must understand in the Bible that's a, a gender-neutral term in the sense of that it doesn't exclude ladies it's, or, or female. It, is, it includes everybody. We are all part of the sonship of God once we are born again. We, we're restored in our sonship. Um, but the, 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 the idea of sonship, we can't dismiss out of hand completely and just, and just replace that with some gender-neutral term. Uh, because of this reality that Jesus was the Son of God, uh, I like the way um, it was put by a, a person by the name of Julie Candless. She wrote the following, I'm unwilling to drop the gendered term sonship, as our sonship is founded upon Christ's own sonship. For those who find the term suspect, 
I do not think it can be interchanged with all sorts of terms like becoming children of God or being adopted. Uh, These lose Christological clarity. Now, I don't don't have necessarily a problem personally that we do replace them for that understanding, um, the terms, but I do think it's very important to have an idea of sonship uh, because that is so prevalent in Scripture. So God is our Father, and we are the sons of God. And it's correct to say sons and daughters of God, because that includes. But there's a a sense of sonship that we have. In Galatians 4, verse 4, it describes something of our life and our reality as human beings. When it says the following, from verse 4 to verse 7, I want to read for you Galatians 4. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship because you are his sons. God sent the father of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. So can you see there it uses the word sonship and child to to bring across an idea But it is very strong on this idea of sonship because of Jesus. Now, what it explains to us in Galatians 4 is this journey that we were created by God as sons of God. Then we became prodigals because of the sin in the Garden of Eden and our sinfulness, our rebellion. We we walked away from God. Like the the story of the prodigal son. Remember, the the prodigal son came to the father and, and basically said, I don't want anything to do with you. All I want is your money. All I want is the privileges of being your son, but I don't want relationship with you anymore. I want to go it on my own. And that, in some way, represents what we did to God. When we went to him in the Garden of Eden and, and we basically said, by, by choosing to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we want to go it on our own. We want the privileges of having been created by God, but we don't want the responsibilities of that. We want to do our own thing. And so we became prodigals and we walked away from God. But by sending his son, by sending Jesus, born of a woman, born under the law, born in the same circumstances as we are in this world, as those that are now under the law of sin and death, that law that was established by God, that if we, if we eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, we will die. That, that we will become those that are born in sin, and that sin will lead to death, separation from God. That Jesus came and was born in that same condition as us uh, under the law. Not, he wasn't born with sin like us, but he was born under the law, as the scripture says. But he came and lived and died on our behalf to redeem us and restore us back to becoming sons of God. No longer slaves of God, but sons of God. Of God, And that is a big thing in terms of our identity, is that we are the sons of God. And please, I, I, I don't want to say this every time, but please know that that's sons and daughters of God. We are the sons of God. We are the children of God because of what Jesus did. That even though we lost our identity as children of God, as sons of God, Jesus has come to redeem us so that we can get it back. And you and I need to just have a good understanding of what that means so that that can become a fundamental identity marker in our lives, that this relationship that we have with God. That's why I want to unpack some of the words that you will find in this portion of Scripture. The first one is the word redeem. And, and we've spoken about this before. The word redeems literally means to buy back. 
It's if I've owned something, I've lost it, and now I buy it back. Uh, and in particularly in relation to God, it has this idea of God created us. He owned us in that sense that he created us. We walked away from him. He lost us. And through Jesus, he brought us back. So he, he, he owns us a second time, in a sense. And he redeemed us. He re- recovered us from that which where we were lost and from the place where we were taken captive. He has recovered us. He has redeemed us. In uh, Colossians 1, verse 13 to 14, it says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. So redemption has this beautiful idea that we have been rescued, redeemed, restored, and forgiven. That in God we have been declared righteous. We were outside of God's kingdom. We were, we were in, in the dominion of darkness because of our sin. We were under the law of the curse of sin and death. And Jesus came and he died on the cross for us to redeem us, to buy us back. And if we accept that, we become righteous again. We become the righteousness of God. We are restored back into his relationship with him. And that's not a process. That's a declaration. It's a declaration that God makes over you that says you have been redeemed. You have been restored. You have been made righteous. That is something that happens in the twinkling of an eye in this almost. It's, it's an in- instant thing that happens based on my faith. You don't mature into being redeemed. You receive redemption. It is the righteousness of Christ that God gives to me. When I put my faith in Jesus, then the law of sin and death is broken over my life. And I receive the freedom from Jesus and what he did on the cross for me. That is something that is declared over me. I receive. It's like, imagine if you, if you if in your bank account, you had a, a debt of a minus a million rand, let's say, for instance. And you have no way to pay that debt back. And, and it's just growing. It's getting bigger and bigger, your debt. Every month, the interest on it is starting to kill you. And, and the debtor you know, is at the door. They, they, want, your, they, they want you to, to uh, be imprisoned. They, they're looking to, to get something, what they can from you. And you're in trouble, man. And then somebody comes along and says, listen, in my bank account, there is like, you know, it has no end. There's trillions and trillions and trillions in my bank account. So what, let's do this. Let's, in a sense, join our bank accounts by becoming co-signatories of each other's bank accounts. Give me your bank account, make me a signatory on your bank account, and I'll make you a signatory on my bank account. So that, for all intents and purposes, what your debt is then swallowed up by my abundance. Then suddenly... You no longer have a million rand debt. That debt gets cancelled by that abundance that is on this side. And that's what Jesus did for us. We had a debt that we couldn't pay. We could not pay the debt that is owed to the law of sin and death. We couldn't recover. That debt is just building in our lives. And then Jesus comes and he's righteous. He's not guilty of sin and death. He His righteousness is perfect, is limitless, it's without end. And so what he did is he transferred his righteousness and covered our debt and removed our debt. That's what it means, that we have been redeemed. 
We have been restored. We have been, by the grace of God, given the righteousness of Christ. Like I say, it's a declaration he makes over us. It's a position he gives us. We did nothing to deserve it. We don't work for it. We, you, you don't, you did, we didn't work for the trillions. What we did is we built up the debt. But in that moment when we joined with Christ, his righteousness was imparted to us and our debt was cancelled. And not only was our debt cancelled, we stepped into his righteousness. And we now have the wealth of the righteousness of Christ in us. That's what it means to be redeemed. And that's who we are. So when we come at identity, it's important that when I look at myself as a, as a follower of Christ, as a believer, if I've given my heart to Jesus, if I've put faith in that sacrifice that Jesus has made on the cross for me, I can't look at myself as an indebted one anymore. I look at myself and I see that I have been redeemed. I'm righteous. I belong to God. I've been included in his kingdom. I am no longer a sinner, a, 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 a person that is away from God, a prodigal. I'm not a slave. Remember when the prodigal son came home to his father and, he, and, and, and when he came to his senses by the pig pen and he said, listen, let me go back to my father's house and even if I can just be a slave in my father's house, I'll be better off than living here by the pigs. I'll be better off than living in my debt and in my failure. But when he came to the father, the father embraced him, put the robe on him, put the ring on him, and, and said, let's slaughter the fattened calf. And he said, for my son has come home. When you and I go back to the father, we, we, we do so based on his mercy, but he gives us not just his mercy. He restores us into his family. We, he doesn't just say, okay, well, you've been, you've been such a bad person, you're such a, a terrible sinner, um, but I'm going to be kind to you and I'm going to allow you to, to, to at least sit in the room. When we have the feast, you can sit there and, and we'll give you a little bit. You can't sit at the table, but we'll give you a little bit of the meal that we're having and, and just be appreciative of that because you, you should have been out in the darkness. You should have been outside you know, where, the, where there's death, but you, at least inside now. No, what the Father says is, my son has come home. My daughter has come home. There's a place set for you. You are now back at the table. You are restored because of the righteousness of Christ. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? And that's our identity. I have been restored. I am righteous. I'm no longer under the the, the, the uh, slave to sin. I have become a righteous person. I no longer am trying to walk away from God. I am now included and part of his family. And that's an amazing reality. And that we have to settle in our hearts. Because that changes the way we look at ourselves. The expectations we have of our lives. The hopes that we have. It changes all of that. That when we deal with the issues of our lives, when we, when we deal with our identity, we, we're not sort of scraping and saying, oh, well, you know, I, I'm, just a, I'm just a failure. No, we're saying, I, I have the righteousness of Christ upon me. And that has changed my life. So the first word is redeemed. I want to take out of that portion. The second word is adoption. We have been adopted. And because we've been redeemed, because of Christ, we have now been adopted into the family. 
We were made to be part of God's family. We left God's family. And now he adopts us back into his family. Romans 8 verse 15 to 17. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are his children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering, in order that we may also share in his glory. When we share in the suffering of Christ, what does that mean? Is, Is we appropriate, we understand that when Jesus died on the cross, he died in our place. He paid the price that we should have paid. And when he died on the cross, we share in that suffering. I recognize that I should have been the one that hung on the cross, that died there, that, that, that had the full weight of the law thrust upon me. But instead of me, Jesus did that. And so I share in his suffering. I recognize my part in that. And once I've recognized my part in that, and I and I receive the forgiveness made available to me on that cross, I now recognize that I have become a son again in the family of God, that I have been adopted. And when I've been adopted, the Spirit of God moves into my life, and the Spirit within me begins to call and cry out, Abba, Father. That word Abba is a a word that is intimate, it's a, it speaks of a close relationship between a child and a parent and a child and a, a son and a father. It's this close relationship, this intimate relationship. And there's a spirit in me now that no longer, that replaces the spirit that was in me, the spirit of rebellion, the spirit of the world, the spirit that was crying out for, f- to be left alone, the spirit that was, that was crying out in rebellion, the spirit that was, that was angry with God, the spirit that was uh, even just, dispassionate towards God, the spirit that didn't care, the spirit that wasn't looking for relationship with God. That spirit is replaced by a spirit that now calls out, not just calls out to say, Lord, have mercy on me, not just calls out to say, oh, Lord, just, just, just don't, don't pour, pour your wrath upon me, but a spirit that cries out, Abba, Father, you are my Father. You are my dad in a sense. I belong in your house. I I have a place at your table. I I don't have to walk around in the house afraid. You know, sorry, sorry, everybody. I I know I shouldn't be here and, and I know I don't belong here. I have no right to be here. The father says, no, come in. This is your house. I mean, we all experience that with our children in our homes. I mean, all the time, you know, I, I put something in the freezer, in the fridge that I, I think I'm going to have later. <laughs> then I get there and one of them has eaten it. And I'll say, listen, hey, you should at least ask just because, but it's, it's mine and I wanted it later. But they don't go, ooh, I'm so sorry, just don't kill me or, ooh, don't, don't you know, don't chase me out of the house. They'll say, oh, sorry, dad, you know, they say, well, I can make it up to you or whatever. But it's, it's like, it's their house. It's our space. It's our place. We belong there. And that's what God gave us when he went with a spirit of adoption. 
He brought us into his house. And we have the spirit that testifies with our spirit now. That keeps telling us, you belong to God. You are part of the family. And I think we need that spirit because so often we feel like we don't belong, don't we? Every time we fail so horribly, every time we sin against God, we want to think that our identity is that, that, that we're a sinner and that our identity is that we don't belong in the family and that, that we shouldn't be there. And certainly the enemy will come and say to you, oh, you see, you, th- you, you think you're a Christian, but look at what you're doing. And it's so easy for us to think that we, that's not our space, but the, the spirit in us says no and testifies to us. This is your home. Relax, settle in, become part of this family. This is your home. You belong. It's such a beautiful picture. That God adopted us and says, come. Friends of ours recently adopted a little boy, beautiful little boy. And on the the day the adoption was finalized, they received this message. According to the provisions of Section 242 of the Children's Act, obviously this is in South Africa, Your adopted child is now for all purposes regarded as your own child, as if born to you. And you are now for all purposes regarded as the parent of the adopted child. That little boy now in their house has full rights in their house. And they have full rights as their parent. And I know what that meant for them when they got that that little message sent to them. When that was declared. You are now, with full rights, the parent of this child. What that meant to him. And that's what God has. Imagine what that means to him. He created us to be in his family. We walked away from his family. But now through Christ, we turn around and we come back. And we say, Lord, forgive us for our sins. And through the blood of Christ, forgiveness is available. And then God declares over us. For all purposes, you are regarded as a child in the kingdom of God with full rights. And God is now your parent again for all purposes. What a beautiful thing. That's who we are. I am not an orphan in life. I'm not a rejected person. I belong. I have been adopted. That changes so much about how we see ourselves. It's a couple of things that happens when we're adopted. When we're adopted, we get set free from bondage. And we have to understand that. When I, because I'm adopted into the kingdom of God, I am free from bondage. The spirit of, of adoption delivers us free from the legal bondage of the law of sin and death that was placed upon us. God, his son, for the very rep- purpose to redeem us, as slaves under that law, um, and uh, took the, the beating of that law and the lashes of that law, and, and knowing that we couldn't set ourselves free, he came and set us free from that law. And the condemnation, the rejection of that law, we are now set free from the bondage of that law. We are no longer those that are cursed. We are those that are living in the blessing. Of being part of God's family. Included. Received. The, the yoke of slavery has been removed from us. Jesus said come. Learn from me. Be part of my family. And that's where we are. The spirit of adoption delivers us from fear. 
No longer are we afraid of judgment. No longer are we afraid of our guilt and our shame. Because Christ has removed that from us. The scripture says, perfect love drives away all fear. We do not have a spirit of fear in Timothy. That fear has been removed from us. That fear, like, you know, like a slave in somebody's home, just now I break something and then they're going to they're kill me or they're going to reject me or they're going to... We don't have that anymore. We have been brought into the covenant of God. We are part of his family. That fear is no longer upon us. We don't fear judgment anymore. Because judgment has been passed on us. And it's been exacted on Christ. And Christ has received the judgment on our behalf. We no longer fear judgment. We no longer fear rejection. The spirit of adoption brings us assurance. I am assured. It's, it's, it's not anymore that I have to behave so that I can be included. I am included. My, my salvation is sure. I'm not going to receive my declaration of salvation at the end of my life, at the judgment seat, one day stand before God, and God weighs up all my actions and then say, well, you just made it. You were 51% better and 49% bad. And just because you were good enough, you made it. Or, ooh, sorry, you just didn't quite make it. No, I can know right now that I'm included. If I receive the forgiveness of Christ, I'm included in God's family. I become part of his family. I am one of his, and that is assured. It's interesting that in that time when Jesus and, and, and Paul in the scripture uses this language, the, the Roman law said that you could disown your own natural children. A, a father or a parent could disown their natural children if for some or other reason things went wrong in that relationship. But you could never disown an adopted child. And that's how it is with us and God. I think that's the, the spirit that it carries here, that we are included. We have been made part of the family of God. And there's not a, there's not a sword hanging over our head that says, Jung, if you don't get this right today, then, then we're going to kick you out tomorrow. This is not a club that you belong to that you have to pay your monthly dues and your monthly membership. The price has been paid by Christ. We're not trying to make up we are sons and daughters. We belong. And that changes who we are. We are heirs. I am an heir. And that scripture says that I am a co-heir with Christ. I've been included. So not only am I now in the family of God, but every blessing of that family, past, present, and future, belongs to me. Every good thing that is within that family, I have been given access to. I am an heir. I am a rightful heir. I receive all the blessings of that family. All the favor, all the good things is calculated to me. The incalculable wealth of God, of the inheritance that is available in God, all the spiritual blessings, as Ephesians says, has been given to me. Everything. Can you imagine just... How that changes your behavior. Not to an arrogance. But to a sense of belonging. It's settled. That's amazing. That today in this world. With my struggles and my failures. I'm dealing with my life from this secure foundation. I am a child of God. I'm not trying to become a child of God. 
I am a child of God. Not because of what I've done. Not because I deserve it. But because of what Jesus did for me. And because that is my identity, I begin to live according with that identity. My behavior changes. My, my choices, my thoughts, my everything is changed by that certainty that I have. That I am a child of God. That I've been adopted. And because I've been adopted, God treats me as his own. And that means just two more things I want to say and then I'm going to end. First of all, we have to understand. Because I'm part of God's family, I've been adopted into his family. But remember, I was originally created by him. So he is my rightful parent. I was made in his image. Remember we spoke about that. So like, like you know, in my life, my, so, two of my sons look more like me than others. When I was younger, two, the other two look more like Natasha's brothers when they were younger. And, and Natasha's side of the family. But you can trace that. So it's like, it's so weird when I look at one of my son's ID book. When my old ID book, when it was taken, my photo of roughly the same age, we look so similar. And then I know that I look so similar to my dad. There's a trait. We were made in the image of God. We carry the traits of God. We were adopted back into that family, but we were originally from that family. And therefore the scripture says, I'm like him. And, and as, as Christ is now working in me and the spirit of adoption lives within me, I, I, I become more and more like him. And Ephesians 5 verse 1, I love this, this the declaration. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. Some translation says as beloved children. Be imitators of God. Have you seen a child that loves their parent, loves a mom or a dad, how they would mimic their behavior? It's, it's amazing when a little girl, you know, when she's, when she's starting to become a bit aware and, and as a toddler, one of the things that they so often do is they start taking their mom's shoes and they start walking and, you know, click-clacking all over the house with those shoes that are way too big for them. But that's what mommy looks like and they, and they start wanting to look like mommy. Because beloved children, children that love their parents, want to imitate their parents. And that's what we do. We imitate God. And I studied this years and years ago, and I can remember that in the Greek it has this sense, this, this sense of you study God so closely to imitate him so that you can walk like he walks. You know when, when somebody walks towards you, uh, and it, even if it's dark, you can recognize the person if you know them well, even by their gait, by the way they walk, you know that's them. You can't see their face, you don't hear their voice, but just by the way they walk. That's what this scripture means. We must know God. We must love him to the point that, that we want to imitate him even as he walks in the finest detail. So that, that's why it says, therefore be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love. That's that walk like God walks. As Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for sweet smelling aroma. I'm now part of God's family. I want to Look like his family. I want to look like him. I want to be like him. I recognize I was created to be like him. So I'm not, I'm not going to be part of his family, but act like I'm not part of his family. I'm not going to be like, you know, included in him with the rights and the privileges, with everything that he gives me, but then say, sorry, you know, I'm thankful that I'm part of this family, but I actually don't want anything to do with the family. Then I'm just like the prodigal. I, want, I don't want the responsibilities of the family, but I want the privileges of the family. No, we are part of the family. And we get the privileges of the family, but there's responsibilities that come with that also. I want to imitate God. 
And that's where my identity gets shaped. So much of it is, I want you, when you look at me, to identify God because of who I am. I want to identify with Christ. I am part of this family. I want you to see that. When you see me, you go, that's the family that person belongs to. Because I'm an imitator of God. I'm like him. And because I'm in the family, I'm legitimate. And my legitimacy, my belonging, allows for me to accept that there's times when God will correct me or discipline me, as the scripture says. Because I've fallen away from him. And now I've been adopted into this family with full rights. I've been forgiven. My sins have been washed away. But because of my rebelliousness, I still sometimes, the, the, the rebelliousness I've come out of, I still sometimes like have bad behavior. It's like I, 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 I want to default back to my old behavior. This, this stubbornness of this independence, this wanting to do my own thing, still rears his head from time to time. And I, and I still act from time to time like I'm not part of this family. And it's at those moments where God, because he loves me, says, no, no. That's going to harm you. That's going to hurt you. That's sin. That's, that's against my will. I, I will not tolerate that. A parent that loves their child disciplines their child. That's what the scripture says in Hebrews 12, verse 4 to 8. In your struggle against sin, in your struggle against this being separate from God, not being part of his family, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And, you, and have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his sons? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by the Father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons, and not true daughters at all. Because the family of God is not this anything goes family. It's not, you know, I know sometimes people in the world and, and people around us, and even some really well-meaning Christians, just they, they so emphasize the, the, a concept of love. And for them, love is, oh God, you're part of God's family now, and God forgives. God is just this very kind, benevolent God, and you can do what you want. God is, he's, you know, it's almost like God, God can't face not having you in his life. So, so if he has to put up with a lot of your nonsense and sin, he'll do that because he doesn't want to lose you. So you can do what you want. You know, if you want to destroy God's furniture, if you want to, if you want to burn half the house down, if, if, if you want to treat yourself badly and, and just do things that God doesn't like, it's okay. God's not going to do anything. He's not going to get upset because he's so kind. He's so loving. The scripture tells us no. God... His family is a safe place. It's a place where, where, where we live according to the laws of love and of grace and of kindness. But that, require, that means that certain things are not allowed. There's certain things you can't do in God's house. There's certain things his family just does not do. It's just not allowed. I mean, in our family, with our children growing up, and even today, there's certain things they know that we just don't do that in our family. This, we don't speak that way. We don't speak that way to one another. We don't speak that way to other people. We, 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 we just don't behave in that way. 
we, we do certain things because that's who we are. And, and if, if, if you consistently step out of that, we're going to talk with you. And, and talking is going to lead to, to some punishment and discipline in some way if you're not going to come into line with it. And I know many people don't like to think about it like that. But if God never disciplines our inappropriate behavior, then our family is not a safe place. If I don't step in when one of my children is really being unkind to another child, or if they don't confront me when I'm being unkind um, in, in our family, if, if we just go, ah, oh, well, just let it go. Let's just accept one another. Just let's not talk about the bad things. Then our family will not be a safe place. Then it becomes a horrible place where you rather just don't want to be. And I think that's where sometimes we get it so wrong. God says this is a safe place. Because there are these things. And now remember, he has the right to say that because he's righteous, he's good, he's kind, he's loving. And so the laws he sets in our family are good laws. Laws for, our, for life and for godliness. Not to punish and destroy us. And we shouldn't fear them. And not only does he ask of us to keep the laws, the spirit within us makes it possible for us to obey the law. So he's not asking us something we can't do. He gives us the power and ability to do that. And then he says, now this is how we do it. And therefore, the spirit of God works with us. And God comes alongside and he corrects us when we need it. Because he says, this is my family. So I have been restored. I've been renewed. I have a fixed understanding in terms of my identity, I am a child of God, been adopted, redeemed, adopted in his family. I'm an heir of God. Everything belongs to me. This is my home. And the Spirit of God cries within me, Abba Father. This is who I am. This is my identity. So when behavior begins in my life and develops, and identity thoughts develops that's outside of what God's description of is and who God describes me to be and the identity I have in God, I have the ability to change that and to correct that and come back. I have a fixed point to work from. And that's important. Because in this world right now, people are living like there's no fixed point. Remember last week I said it. It's like we asked the question, who am I? Like a rhetorical open-ended question with no answer. Now when we ask God the question, who am I? He's got an answer for that. And that defines our lives. And that's why people... Don't want to have a relationship with God because they, want, they don't want the responsibility of that relationship. They don't want to be accountable. They want to do their own thing. But when I have a relationship with God, it begins to define for me what that means. And so I have a fixed point. And when life starts working in me and I'm struggling with things like we all do, we all struggle with our identity. We all struggle with, with things in our lives that, that, is this what I should be doing? Who am I? You know, my feelings, my thoughts. When I struggle with it and, and I start wandering off, I have a fixed point to come back to. That I come, okay, God, I'm struggling with this reality. Like, like when we're struggling with our sexuality, for instance. Right now, we're so aware of many people with gender dysphoria that struggle, that feel like I'm a, I'm a, I'm a male in a female body or something. Now, those struggles are real. I, I, you know, I understand that. But I don't think it's helpful that we struggle with those things and any other identity struggle like I've had in my life. I've struggled with things. I've struggled with what I, my behavior and what I need and how I see other people and how I view things. And, and I've struggled to feel comfortable in my own body. 
But when I struggle with that and it becomes this open-ended struggle that actually has no fixed point to it, it just, I just wander off and I end up in places I never wanted to be in. But I'm so thankful that as a son of God, as a daughter of God, we've got a fixed point to come back to. That when we're struggling, like the prodigal son, we don't just keep going. We come back and we say, there's a fixed point. There is a place where I can go to, where I can find everything I need and my identity can be secure. The other day, Natasha and I, we were driving in KwaZulu-Natal. We were on a, on a network thing and... And uh, as I was getting closer to the area where we're supposed to be, I, I, I didn't know that I put in just a little bit of the wrong destination. And we started driving on this road, and I started recognizing that I think I'm on the wrong road. But I don't know if it's a me problem, if it's a man problem. I think it's a, ma a human problem. But at that point, I was like, no, if I just keep going down this road, I'm gonna, uh, it's going to work out in the end. Because I couldn't face having to turn around and go back 20, 30 kilometers and then go back on a route that I was in and get onto the right route. So I, I just want to keep going. And at some point I had to recognize I'm on the wrong road. And no matter how far I keep going, I'm not going to get to the right place. I'm going to end up in the wrong place. And so I had to do the painful thing of stop, turn around, retrace my steps, go back to the last point where I knew where I was, and then from there work towards where I'm supposed to be. And that's what life is like. In our rebellion and in our sinfulness, we think we can just keep going down the wrong road and we're going to ultimately get to the right place. You're not going to get to the right place. You're not going to know who you are. You're not going to discover your purpose in life if you're on the wrong road. You have to stop. Turn around. Go back. Go back to the last place where you knew where you were. And that last place was as part of God's family. And that's the story of mankind. Jesus standing and saying, come back. Come to me. You don't have to go back to creation. Come to this point. Come to me. And from here on, you will find again where you're supposed to go. And where your life is supposed to lead. And who you are. And your identity will be secure. So I want to pray with you today. Pray that we will return to that fixed point in Jesus. And so that when we're struggling with life and who we are and our identity and all the issues of life, that we can do that from a secure foundation, from knowing truth in Christ and finding His truth for those struggles that we have. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank You. We thank You that You came. You died on a cross for us to redeem us. To buy us back from the law of sin and death. To restore us so that we can be adopted back into the family of God. And become children with full rights. Heirs of the kingdom of God. Everything belongs to us. In the covenant that we now have through your blood. Thank you for that Jesus. And thank you that we are in this family. With the privilege of being like our father. The greatest person in the universe. The most loving, kind person that we can be like him that we can have that intimate relationship with you father and we want to be like you because that's life that's love that's that's the amazing privilege we have and thank you father that you walk with us that your rod and your staff they comfort us that you you bring us back you don't let us just wander off you don't just let us destroy ourselves and destroy others but you step in and thank you for your discipline teaching us your ways we thank you for that. And so today, Lord, we say 
Thank you for that rock under our feet, that fixed point. I am a child of God, a son and a daughter. And Lord, I pray for all of us, whatever we're struggling with in our lives, that we'll struggle with that as sons and daughters of God. Finding the solutions and being changed to be more like Jesus. Not just wandering off into the distance, but being part of your family so that we can together with you see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And I thank you for that. I pray for every person today, just that sense of security, of assurance to be part of your family. In Jesus' name, amen. If you haven't made a decision to be part of God's family, if you've not accepted the forgiveness available to you in the name of Jesus, I want to invite you to communicate with us, follow the prompts on the screen and in the comment section. And let us know and we will reach out to you and we will pray with you and we will help you in that process. May the Lord bless you.